play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Welcome to Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, the woman who can turn a one-syllable word into a five-syllable word with her southern drawl. The woman who most likely moisturizes her skin with a stick of butter. Celebrity chef Paula Deen's Last Meal. Hello, Paula. Good morning. Hello, Rachel. How are you, dear? I'm good. It's hard to just say Paula. You have one of those names that you have to say the first and last. It's just Paula Dean. You know, <laughs> I've had people say, why do you call your children by the full name? Like Jamie Dean, Bobby Dean. <laughs> oh, you two, your own kids? <laughs> I love <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Well, I hate to bring up an ex right at the beginning, but I was kind of chuckling this morning because I was reading about you, and I didn't know that your ex's name was Jimmy Dean, and I'm like, of course she married a sausage. <laughs> His name is Jimmy Dean. That's right. Well, let's... Uh... And our first son was named after him. He's a junior. Oh, wow. A, a junior sausage. A junior sausage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Since we have limited time, I'm just going to cut to the chase here. Um, the name of my show is Your Last Meal, and I interview celebrities about what they would choose for their last meal. So I'm curious, Paula Dean, mother of Jimmy Dean, what would your last meal be? Uh, you know, I think my last meal would be a very, very, very long buffet that took a long time to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and what would some of the uh, highlighted items be? What are the things that you crave the most? Uh, it would be it would be a thick steak and it would be uh, king crab and lots of potatoes cooked different ways. It would be candied bacon uh, and lots of pies, homemade pies. And um, more potatoes. More potatoes. What is your favorite way? And more meat. Meat and potatoes. So what is your favorite potato preparation? Because you can do them a hundred ways. You know what? I, I love, I adore. Potatoes my favorite favorite food, I think. Uh, I love French fries, but I love just a plain old baked potato with butter and sour cream. Mm, so good. So good. Just good, honest, straight up, good food. <laughs> so how do you do your baked potato? I know it sounds simple, but I can never make mine at home taste like they do in the restaurant where you have like the really nice crispy skin and then the really creamy inside. What's your method? Right, right. Well, it's so easy. You just first want to wash your potato and then I just spray it with a nonstick oil. You know, the kind you use when you're when you don't want things to stick. Uh-huh. Uh I spray it with that and then I sprinkle it with a coarse salt and then I bake it naked in the oven. You know, don't don't if you put it in tin foil, it's gonna have a softer skin. Right. Uh so just put it in a on a baking sheet and let her rip. And how long do you have to bake it and for? you know what my favorite potato to bake is? What? 
a red potato. You can find them uh, at certain stores big, big enough to bake. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, my goodness, they're so good because the skin will get crispy. But then when you cut it open, it's like mashed potatoes. It's yes. that consistency uh, where uh, an Idaho or something like that is has more of a mealy texture. Yeah. I'm admiring your restraint with just butter and sour cream because there's no bacon or cheese or green onions or anything like that. You're being very no. reserved. Yeah. My my husband loves his loaded, but I, I just love the taste of butter and sour cream and, and chives if they have it. I'm actually also surprised that your meal isn't more stereotypically Southern. So you have your big steak, you have your crab and your baked potato. Do you think that you've kind of burnt out a little bit, you know, doing Southern food all the you time? Know, that I, You know, and I did fail to mention when I said more meats, more meats, that means fried chicken. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's my number one favorite Southern food. And at our restaurants, we have perfected that fried chicken, I think. I mean, I can't go in the restaurant without getting me a chicken leg. I can't do it. Have you ever driven, eaten a chicken leg on the road? Yeah, that would have been last Friday. <laughs> oh! <laughs> chicken well, on the when run. When I left the restaurant, I had a book signing at the Lady and Sons, and uh, I left with two chicken legs in my hand and <laughs> ate them in the car. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So I want to talk about a little bit about how you got your start. I know that you've been public uh, talking about when you were in your 20s that you had anxiety and you were agoraphobic and you stayed in the house a lot. Is that where you started cooking? Were you cooking when you were in the house all that time? You know, I did. My my favorite pastime to keep myself busy and trying to stay away from negative thoughts uh, was my kitchen. It it was my lifesaver. And it was almost therapeutic for me uh, to be in my kitchen, yes. And I come from a cooking family, Rachel. My grandmother and grandfather were in the restaurant and lodging business. And uh, they had three daughters. And all three of the daughters were wonderful cooks also, one of their daughters being my mother. I didn't learn to cook. I never even went into the kitchen hardly until I married, and I didn't know how to boil an egg. Uh, But uh, when I realized my mother was not going to come in there and cook for us, uh, I I started playing around, and I fell in love with it. So uh, that 20-year ride with agoraphobia, it served me well because it had me hone my skill. So how did you go from someone who was so anxious that you couldn't leave the house to being an international television star who, you know, feels completely comfortable in front of the camera and goes around meeting people? It sounds crazy, doesn't it? Uh, When I think about it, it sounds so crazy because I was always, you know, this girl that enjoyed being in the center of everything and had so many friends, but the unexpected death of my father when he was 40 years old, just, it changed my life. I was devastated. And then unexpectedly, my mother followed him in her death when she was 44. And I was left with a 16-year-old brother to finish raising, and I had two babies under three. 
and uh, I was scared to death that something was going to happen to one of those. And um, I found I was just better off if I just stayed home and kept my children home. And um, I'm as close today to that 18-year-old girl as I will ever be. You know, I think I've come full circle. But I'll never forget. I can take you back to the house and where I was standing that morning when I got up and the serenity prayer went through my head. And it was like I had just heard it for the first time. That prayer, I felt like at that moment, was written for me, you know, to have the serenity to accept the things I couldn't change, the courage to change the things that I could, and please, God, give me the wisdom to know the difference between those two things. And I said, you know, that's it. That's it. I can't change what's happened. Uh, I've got today. God gave me today. So, Paula, let's get on with it, girl. And, you know, I started getting better. It was not like an overnight thing, but, um, you know, I started expanding the areas for me to go to. And before you knew it, I started a little business called The Bag Lady with my $200, and the rest is history. Wow. It's very inspiring. Uh, Have you ever read my book, It Ain't All About the Cooking? No, I need to. Yes, I I think you would enjoy the read, uh, because it's been one heck of a ride, girl. (laughs) It sounds like it. One heck of a ride. But you're so far away from that time now. Do you ever get some of those feelings back or, you know, have like a memory of like, who was that? Am I even the same person? I know it. I know it. I know it. I feel like I've had several different lives in this one body. Um, You know, I know how to combat it now. But no, I hadn't had a panic attack, knock on wood, in over 30 years. That's amazing. Yes. So when you first started cooking, when you were at home, what was one of the first dishes that you were taught or that you taught yourself to make? I think the first thing I tackled was spaghetti. I can't remember, but um, that sounds logical to me. I think that's what Paula, 19-year-old Paula, would have tried. (laughs) Paula Dean, it was so lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. Back to you. Pick up that book. I will. I will. I need a new book. Good luck on your book tour, and uh, I can't wait to check out your new cookbook. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, At the Southern Table with Paula Dean. Thanks, Paula Dean. Have a great day. Thank you, too. Bye. Paula Dean has maybe the world's best laugh. Let's see if I can do it. I can't. No. I can't do it. Uh-uh. But I laughed all through this. And if you it like, it sounded almost like fake laughter to me, but it wasn't. But I, when she would laugh, I would laugh. And it reminded me of uh, they have like laughing yoga that I accidentally went to once. Really? Which is they start laughing and you feel really uncomfortable. And then you find yourself laughing because they're laughing and it's supposed to make you feel better. And it kind of does. But you don't know why you're laughing and you can't stop. And it's so weird. That's Paula Dean to me. Paula Dean. Paula Dean. I love how she said my name. Rachel. Hi, Rachel. She's so warm and friendly. 
So we're going to take a break, but when we come back, baked potatoes are to steakhouses as rice is to teriyaki joints. No, this is not an SAT question. This is something we're going to get the answer to from the Idaho Potato Commission. The Idaho Potato... I mean, these are the potato people. Nobody does potatoes like Idaho. When we come back... If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P. Or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Paula Dean wants a baked potato with butter and sour cream for her last meal. I am drooling just saying those words. I don't blame Paula Dean because I love, and I wrote this on the paper here. I put um, about 14 O's in love. I love baked potatoes. I want one so bad. I, do you love baked potatoes as much as I do? I really, really do. They are a magical and very simple food. I think potato is potentially my last meal choice. I, I learned about a place in my research for this episode called Potatopia potatopia uh and it's an all potato restaurant so you choose your base you either get like a baked potato mashed potatoes tater tots sweet potato fries blah 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 and then you can just top it with whatever you want they have hundreds of vegetables and meats and sauces doesn't that sound good that sounds real good uh when i was a kid and we were lucky enough to go to a fast food restaurant because my family didn't roll that way but when my dad went on a business trip my mom was like get in the car We're going to KFC. Uh, But when we would go to Wendy's, I would always order a baked potato. Their baked potatoes were so delicious. You could get it with this bright orange melted cheese and broccoli. And I learned today that I was not the only one ordering the baked potato like I thought that I was. Uh, Wendy sells a million baked potatoes a week. Uh, So we are going to talk to the king of the baked potato. His name is Frank Muir. He's the CEO of the Idaho Potato Commission, uh, and he's going to fill us in on the history of the baked potato in America. One of uh, our favorite stories uh, goes back to the uh, 1930s. A gentleman by the name of uh, Dario Tofanetti owned six restaurants in New York, Chicago, and Florida. This was, uh, of course, during the Depression times. And uh, he's trying to be creative in, in finding an economically way to, to fill up a plate and fill up his customers. And uh, for some reason, he made a trip out to Idaho, and he saw this huge, large rail car of giant Idaho potatoes that were actually being uh, sent off for cattle feed because they were too big. And he thought he thought creatively how he could use them, and he bought the entire rail car. And uh, instead of being shipped off to cattle feed and cut up and, and, and fed that way, they were shipped back to, uh, to his restaurants in New York, Chicago, and Florida. And uh, it was a way to, to give folks, his, his uh, customers, 
a really interesting, unique experience eating this giant uh, Idaho baked potato next to a steak that got a little bit smaller each time because of economic times. But no one complained about the smaller steak because they had such an incredible uh, experience with the uh, Idaho baked potato. So was this one of the first times that people had had a baked potato? Is this not a food that was uh, something that you would see a lot at home or on a restaurant menu? It wasn't uh, familiar because uh, most people would cut them up, and and uh, you know obviously French fries go back it goes all the way back to to Thomas Jefferson's time when he introduced them to, into the White House, but just baking them up this way, particularly larger potatoes, uh, was was uh, fairly new. You know, ovens uh, needed to be a little more sophisticated because you know it takes a while to to bake a pa- bake a potato, and the bigger the potato is, the longer it takes. And there was some uh, belief that the bigger the potato got, perhaps it wouldn't taste as good. Uh, what Tofanetti found was it actually tasted great. Now, I could share one other story, too, which has kind of uh, recently been celebrated. Back in 1926, Macy's really introduced the uh, baked potato bar for the first time. This was in their Walnut Room restaurant in, the, in Macy's in Chicago, and they were the first to feature baked potato as a menu item. And uh, it was so successful, it was immediately a, a successful item, that just uh, recently, and I'm talking 2015, uh, Macy's wanted to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the uh, baked potato in their in their uh, stores, and uh, they invited us, the Idaho Potato Commission, to uh, sponsor a very unique uh, baked potato bar where we we provided 125 toppings, different toppings for the Idaho baked potatoes, and they served over a thousand of these uh, these bakers. And so what were some of the early toppings, like back then in the 20s when Macy's had their baked potato bar? What were things that people would put on it then? Well, no surprise. It would be butter and uh, sour cream. Of course, that's uh, Paula Deen's, one of her favorite items to put on her uh, baked potato as well. Do you know how the baked potato became affiliated with steakhouses? It's such a classic to have a steak and a baked potato. You know, it goes back, uh, and, and a lot of it really goes back to Tofanetti, because he was, again, in the early 30s, when restaurants are trying to stay in business because, you know, this is during Depression. People aren't going out to restaurants to eat. So how do you get folks to come out and and pay their precious money at a restaurant? Well, what you do is you put a smaller steak and a larger potato there, but the potato is high in satiety value, so you feel full. So folks would come in, have this wonderful meal, and they'd, they'd people started complaining that uh, Dario would give them too big a helpings, too much food. And during the Depression, no one ever heard something like that. So that was really, in my opinion, the, the beginning of the, of the potato being next to, uh, next to the steak. And one of the things we have found is that when beef prices are going up, we'll see restaurants, uh, high-end restaurants, will decrease their size of their fillets and increase the size of their potato, and no one complains about it. Because the first thing they, they say when they, that, that plate is set in front of them is, wow, look how big that potato is. They don't say, look how small that steak is. So this Dario Tofanetti character that he's talking about seems to have had a flair for language because I found online the copy that he used on his menus when describing baked potatoes. He calls them, quote, bulging beauty grown in the ashes of extinct volcanoes, scrubbed and washed, then baked in a whirlwind of tempestuous fire until the shell crackles with brittleness. That's awesome. Yeah, he should write romance novels about baked potatoes. Baked potatoes were also a marketing tool for the Northern Pacific Railroad in the early 1900s. 
So like Frank said, back in the day, when a potato got too big, people thought it wouldn't taste good and they would end up feeding it to pigs. So the railroad discovered that these giant two-pound Idaho potatoes were actually edible when they were baked. And they were beyond that. They were actually really delicious. And I'm sure they got them really cheap because they were being fed to the hogs. And they started offering them to diners on the North Coast Limited starting in 1909. And the baked potatoes were so popular that the railroad started calling their passenger service the Great Big Baked Potato. Northern Pacific actually mounted a huge 40-foot baked potato on the roof of its commissary in Seattle. They had electric lights that caused the butter to glow. They had eyes on the potatoes that winked with lights. And for 50 years, the railroad used the slogan, the route of the great big baked potato. One other fun fact, in October 1995, the potato was the first vegetable to be grown in space. NASA grew it, hoping that they might be able to feed astronauts up in space. All of this potato talk is making me very hungry. Uh, so after the break, I'm going to introduce you to the restaurant that makes my favorite baked potato. Hint, it's no longer the Sizzler or Wendy's. listening to your last meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. When Paula Dean said she wanted a baked potato with crispy skin and creamy insides topped with butter and sour cream, my mind immediately went to my favorite baked potato, which is from a place called the Wedgwood Broiler in the Wedgwood neighborhood in Seattle. This is an old school place. It's from 1965. There's a lounge and then there's a restaurant inside and you always want to sit on the lounge side. It is like going back in time. If you go in the evening for dinner, there are couples that treat this place like their own living room who eat here every night. These old couples who don't talk, who are eating liver and onions or London broil, looking past each other, watching golf on TV. It is Amazing. I haven't heard London Royal in a long time. Yeah, and this place is super affordable. It's like a really old-fashioned menu. What I love about it, I remember from my childhood, almost every time we'd go out to eat, you'd get, do you want rice pilaf, baked potato, or mashed potato? Do you want super salad? Like, dinner used to come with a bunch of food. Now everything's a la carte in the cities. You know, you have to pay for bread and butter on the side. So this is kind of a throwback. And the best thing Besides the baked potatoes at the Wedgwood Broiler are their dinner salads because they always come automatically with Cheez-Its and little bits of salami. What? Yeah, it's awesome. You have to go to the Wedgwood Broiler. But my favorite thing, which I will make a meal out of, is the baked potato. So I stopped in and interviewed the owner of the Wedgwood Broiler, Derek Cockbain. They're wrapped in foil to start, um, and then so and then we bake them, but they're really kind of steams them. Um, and I think... So that, that's a little different than a lot of places do them. Uh, we put uh, uh, whipped uh, butter-margarine mixture on the top. 
Um, we serve them with a side of sour cream, bacon bits, and chives. Why did you decide to go with a half margarine, half butter? I don't know why the original uh, owners did that, uh, but we've been doing it that way a long time. So that's been since 1965, since they opened? Yes. Margarine? Who uses margarine when you have butter? But I guess the Wedgwood Broiler, that's who uses margarine. I was thinking that maybe it's like when you make a grilled cheese sandwich and you use a good cheese, maybe a cheddar, you might add a slice of American cheese to contribute to the meltability. So I thought maybe the margarine adds an extra melty component that butter doesn't quite achieve. I'm not sure. Butter is pretty melty. But the point is, they use an insane amount of butter, about 10 times more than I would ever use at home. And when this baked potato comes to the table, it is positively foaming with butter. It looks like it has rabies. That's how much butter foam is coming out of this potato. Go to the Wedgwood Broiler, get a baked potato. They give you these little containers on the side with bacon bits and dehydrated chives and then your sour cream. Their cocktails are super stiff. Their waiters are surly but friendly at the same time. It's 1965 every night at the Wedgwood Broiler. And that was Paula Dean's last meal. Paula has a brand new cookbook out right now. It's called At the Southern Table with Paula Dean. I suggest picking up a copy before the holidays and bringing a lot more butter into your life. Thanks to Frank Muir, CEO of the Idaho Potato Commission, and thanks to the Wedgwood Broiler for my favorite. Oh, I forgot to tell something before. Okay, I'm going to start that over. And thanks to the Wedgwood Broiler. I don't know if I should say this because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but One time when I went to the Wedgwood Broiler and I ordered a baked potato, the server recognized me. She's a fan of the radio show that I do. And I told her how much I love the baked potato. About 15 minutes later, I went to the bathroom. And when I came back, my half-eaten baked potato was replaced with a brand new baked potato foaming with butter and sour cream. And I felt like if I just left every 15 minutes, this potato would go on infinity it would just keep living on and i could just eat this baked potato until the day i die so i'm looking at you anonymous server who i will not name thank you for making my life better this episode was produced by aaron mason and me with original music by prom queen who has a brand new album out now it's called doomwop find it at promqueenmusic.com i'm rachel bell and this is your last meal 